We have the first coaching casualty of the 2019-2020 NHL season, and it probably surprised a lot of people when it happened. On Wednesday, after team practice, the Maple Leafs parted ways with head coach Mike Babcock. Didn't complete his eight-year contract with the team, could not coach the Maple Leafs past the first round, and in a year with so much on the line, for the first time ever, the axe fell on him. Was the timing questionable? Can this team get better results with a different voice in the locker room? And what happens if they don't? It's certainly worth debating. Episode 194 of the Lace Mop Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Mike Babcock is a free agent. Never thought I'd say those words, Brett. Yeah, same. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, uh, honestly, this is one of those stories where you just look at the Maple Leafs struggling. They were on a six-game losing streak, um, lost a tough one, 4-2 to Vegas. Looked like they were kind of turning the corner. Marc-Andre Fleury made this amazing save in the third period, which yeah. is unintentionally killing Mike Babcock's career in Toronto. But you just figured, you know, a legendary coach like Mike Babcock that's won so much at every level of hockey, you would think there's no way in hell he'd be possibly fired when he left Anaheim he left for Detroit when he left Detroit he left for Toronto he had never been fired before and the Maple Leafs brass decide to make a coaching change and it, it it was something that you know you could understand if it happened but it happened and it was just like a shock to everyone it, it was it was one of those headlines where every hockey fan's jaw dropped didn't matter what team you liked didn't matter if you hated yeah. the least it was just one of those things where you're just like wow i can't believe they did it yeah you know it's one of those things where in hindsight it made perfect sense that maybe babcock isn't the perfect fit for this team um yeah. because you think about it in this sense like, like, it makes sense for uh, when Lou Lamarillo was the GM because they're bo- mm-hmm. they both seem to have the similar type of mindset of being more old school and working that type of old school hockey where, you know, the players don't have emotions and it's all um, up top and, you know, um, where they're kind of like um, robots almost <laughs> for, for them. Whereas, like, the new school of thinking with uh, Kyle Dubas, you're, um, yeah, it's it's very much, like, different for that, where the players do matter, the analytics do matter, um, all these, like, different things like chemistry, and, um, you know, it doesn't matter how how many games you've played in the NHL players, you know, if you can play, you can play kind of thing. Um, and I think that that makes sense, you know, in in hindsight, of course, Babcock is a, one of the most accomplished NHL coaches of all time. Um, you know, just from coaching all those uh, Red Wings teams and being the coach for Team Canada and stuff. But um, I, I don't think he was a good fit for this young team right now um and it just doesn't send a good message so you know and also like sheldon keith i i think i wasn't as shocked when i saw um there was a video of that it was making the twitter news a while of when kyle dubas was speaking at uh, like an analytics conference um back when he was the salt saint marie coach there and he basically said that um that a change in coaching can do wonders for a team because like if a if if the former coach doesn't buy into the system um then you know that can like that has like a trickle down effect and that can affect play and it can affect everything so um which is interesting too considering that the new guy sheldon keith was the coach in Sault saint marie and uh 
Dubas in this video even like mentions that like he credits Sheldon Keith for a lot of the Salt St. Marie's um, success because he was able to listen to what Dubas had to say with from an analytics uh, standpoint. So even though it's just like you, Kyle Dubas kind of told the future in a way, which was an interesting aspect of things. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's like you, you, you take a look at um, what the Maple Leafs were like. In all fairness to Mike Babcock, the Maple Leafs were irrelevant. They were the doormat a lot for a lot of the other teams are just like, oh, we're going in Toronto. Two points for us. Let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> like like the Maple Leafs were just like a total disaster under Mike Babcock and, or, or under previous uh, regimes. Like uh, people forget about, you know, the Carlisle uh, years, uh, the tail end of those, and the Peter Horacek, um, that half season he coached that, that was a rough one. And yet everyone was just looking at Mike Babcock, you know, taking the Red Wings uh, to playoff appearance after playoff appearance. And it, at, at a time when the Leafs were at their worst, everyone was just like, oh, yeah, right. He's, he's not coming to Toronto. We're not even getting free agent players to come to Toronto. There's no way Mike Babcock would want to coach here. No way. Um, not only does he come to Toronto, he's willing to sign an eight-year deal. Um, granted, for a lot of money, I'm sure that's probably part of it. Like, they're paying him almost $6 million per year. That, that was unprecedented, the coaching uh, contract that he signed with Toronto at the time. Um, and I guess it's still unprecedented today because there aren't too many coaches that are getting paid Mike Babcock money. But um, it was a big deal at the time when he came over to Toronto on a Leafs team that barely had anything to offer. He was willing to invest his time into this process of slowly rebuilding the Toronto Maple Leafs. One year of pain, then they get Austin Matthews. They put him on the roster. Mitch Marner's ready to go. William Nylander's ready to go. Um, Morgan Riley and Frederick Anderson start to become hot commodities there. They make the playoffs. They make a, a lot of big strides against the Capitals. They're very tough to handle. They give the Capitals everything they have in the tank, and they come up short in six games. But it was a big stepping stone for them. And then they continue to make strides the next year. Then they get John Tavares. Um, but it, it the question mark going into this year was, okay, can this Leafs team get over the hump with Mike Babcock? And now when you're getting into the point of the regular season where you're going through this slide, the the roster itself just looks so dejected and just so frustrated and, and hopeless. And, it you know, they're doing whatever they can, but every mistake keeps getting magnified. And it's tough to really get out of this funk. You're thinking, this team is way too good to be below 500 and yep. be below the NHL stanks and a team like Ottawa, who is clearly in rebuild mode having a better record than them like yep. toronto shouldn't be doing this bad with mike babcock with any coach with e even with marner injured and hyman yep. injured and Tavares before this team is too good on paper to be this mediocre and when they start to struggle in a season where it's ultimately with this current group, with the pieces they have, their best shot at winning a Stanley Cup. To a certain extent, you know, I could see why a coaching change was necessary. If the every single game matters to you, there's no time to wait for Mike Babcock to magically turn this ship around. If there is a guy waiting in the wings that can get the job done and get it done more effectively than Mike Babcock can. It's obviously a situation where the Leafs felt they had to make a decision, and they did. Yeah, no, that that is a good point. I yeah, I forgot to mention the Mitch Marner stuff as well, um, because that that is an interesting aspect of it, right? It's like if if Marner was playing, I wonder. Um, if they would have gone on this losing streak or not. But um, it is also funny that, like, the Leafs, at the same time, it is it is what it is, right? And the Leafs are closer to the Senators in points than they are to the Bruins in points, which is funny considering what the 
um, predictions were at the beginning of the season. Um, and that should tell you more about what the what the Leafs are than what the Senators are at the moment. Um, but yeah, and, and we talked about this last week where the Penguins, who are decimated with uh, Crosby and uh, Latang being out, um, they they lost uh, like they lost by like uh, four point uh, four goals. Um, it was uh, it was six yeah. to one, yeah. Six to one. Oh, sorry, not four goals then. Five goals, um, and uh, and they they are even more injured um, than than the Leafs are. So that's that's the other interesting aspect of it. And um, also, it seems like uh, Tyson uh, Tyson Berry was uh, you know like Tyson Berry's kind of been invisible for most of this year, which is odd considering that he was their big off-season acquisition this season um and well, he's well yeah, yeah. No, no kidding like yeah. the guy had like 55 power play points the previous two years combined just one with mike babcock like yeah. how is that possible you bring in a, an assistant coach you you um part ways with two assistant coaches one of them is now doing better than mike babcock yeah. oddly enough than dj smith in ottawa and, and you bring in a guy that was managing a top three power play in Florida the year before, you add Tyson Berry to the mix, surely your power play is good, and you would argue it's probably the worst it's ever been in the Mike Babcock era. Like, how do you explain that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, so he did get a goal against, uh, in Sheldon versus, Sheldon versus, Sheldon's Keith's <laughs> first game. Uh, yeah. Coaching for the uh, the Maple Leafs, so um, so was this the right move? I think, yeah, it was. When you think about it, um, I think it was the right move. Um, like Babcock, Babcock will be fine. He's you know he's he has a I think he has, he's still the most highest paid uh, coach in the league still. Um, and he'll, he'll he'll actually still be getting paid before yeah. Keith's contract expires. For sure, yeah. So like, like after Keith's contract expires, their uh, Keith's three-year deal, which is this year and the next two years, mm-hmm. Babcock's deal will still be will still be active by the time Keith needs a new deal. Yeah. So I I do think this is the right move. It seems like, and this brings us to my next the next question here: Sheldon Keith, will he be the right the guy to write the ship? Um, cause like Keith, first off, he, he works with Kyle Dubis, um, with the Salt St. Marie uh, Greyhounds, as I've mentioned before. Um, yeah. and he was also like on the Toronto Marlies, uh, for a couple of years, for a couple of seasons. And in fact, he was like a highly sought after coach, um, due to that. And it seems like the, the Maple Leafs didn't want to let him go cause they refused teams to even speak with him um so i it, that just shows to me how much trust uh kyle dubis has in sheldon keith um that like he was eventually going to be the guy um you know they had been losing for a while now so i think it is one of those moves that you kind of have to do um and also not to mention when you look at past successful teams um mainly like mike sullivan and bruce cassidy in for the Bruins and the, the Penguins, you know, like those guys like knew all, like they started in the AHL and that helps a lot with um, accustoming or developing their players into the NHL because they've been around um, all the young guys, um, even the players who you may not have heard of. Um, yeah, look, no look at Cassidy in Boston right yeah. now. Look how good the Bruins are. Yeah, and even even Mike Sullivan um, in in Pittsburgh, you know, he yep. he uh, he can get a lot of out of like players you've never even heard of. So, um, so that that's another reason. And um, like, <laughs> I feel like every team that's struggling now will like use the the Blues as an excuse, um, <laughs> but. But for this case, it, it kind of works for Toronto because they they were just dis- you know like the Blues they've been disappointing to start the season, but yeah they're they're a team yeah. everyone expected to be good right and um, and then they you know they start off slow to the point where they became one of the worst teams in the league, and then all of a sudden they fire their coach, um, 
get in a new coach, um, and then they start playing really well. Um, you know, um, given, you know, Jordan Bennington was a big part of the Blues' success and Ryan O'Reilly's changing gears um, entirely was also a big part of it. But um, there is something to, like, firing your coach. And, you know, this change needed to happen. Um, you know, it's one of those things where because of the Leafs cap situation, it's not like they can make a big trade um, to to make matters better for them they yeah, kind of like not with the cap they have exactly so it, this this is like even from a managerial standpoint this was the right move uh for sure so will sheldon keith do it i think he could i think he can bring them to the playoffs um it's tough to see just from one game of theirs though but I think he could be a guy, just given how um, his relationship to Kyle Dubas and um, the fact that he was a Marley's coach, um, that was, you know, so he knows a bit more about the players um, in the system as well. So I think he can, um, he can, he'll, he'll be more successful than Babcock is. Getting back to, to the original point of why yep. this decision was made, uh, the timing of this decision, um, if they really thought Sheldon Keefe was their guy, they wouldn't have – maybe this is a more strategic way of just telling Mike Babcock that we're going in a different direction because, you know, the team is struggling. It's a logical time to make yeah, that decision. Even, even if Babcock takes the Leafs into the second round, wins a playoff series, and they don't win the Cup – if they really think uh, Keefe is the guy to take him over that ump, maybe this change it happens anyway in the offseason. But we'll never know because Mike Babcock's fired now. Um, but the timing of this, given everything that's happened, even if it was in the middle of a West Coast road trip, um, at the end of the day, the Leafs need to win games. They can't afford to wait. This is a very critical season, not only for this era of Maple Leafs hockey, but maybe ever in Maple Leafs hockey and they need to get it right and if firing Babcock 23 games into the season and during their season around gets it done I don't think anyone's going to question the timing after the season is done if it's all worth it in the end but I think overall the timing I I, I think it was right for the Leafs um T.S. Stens Ray Ferraro said the Leafs looked like a team trying to find their inner selves, kind of like a, a tug of war between the team that they are and a team they think they should be. And it was up to the coach to change that. It's up to the coach to adapt to certain situations. Um, Babcock seems like a guy that bets on himself, that coaches with a lot of pride and trust that his style at the end of the day is going to be the style that wins the day. And it's tough to really justify that when your team doesn't win games and doesn't win games consistently and goes on these kind of slides. And the hard truth about Mike Babcock's system, it didn't get the Leafs on the right foot. They allowed the opening goal in the Vegas game for the eighth straight game, 18th on the year, 18 times out of 23 games, they've given up the first goal. I believe they're six, nine, and three in those fifth in in those uh, in those games in those 18 games, and three, one, and one in uh, uh, five games where they did score the first goal. So when you're getting behind the eight ball early on regardless of how good or how bad your team should be in the season, that doesn't look good on the coach. When you're giving up power play goals in consecutive games, that doesn't look good on the coach. When you're getting outscored in the first period and are constantly playing catch-up, that doesn't look good on the coach. That doesn't look good on a team. And winning teams don't really get behind that eight ball winning teams always find a way to score first and they find a way to keep leads and they find a way to get leads and the Leafs consistently game after game had trouble with that their special teams uh had trouble with keeping up they had uh, the 18th ranked power play 28th ranked penalty kill out of 31 teams and penalty kill is actually a strong suit for them they had 
the fewest minors taken. They had the fourth fewest minors taken in 2017-18. This year, ninth most minors. And throughout all of this, and this is probably more on Dubas, but throughout the entire Mike Babcock era, they were top 10 in most shots faced per game, a stat you don't want to be on as a team. That is a stat you do not need. And just the regression of their special teams, the amount of chances they were giving up, it was it's it's just too much for them to overcome right now. So at some point, you have to take a step back and say, okay, maybe a new voice is needed. And um, I don't question the timing from that perspective. Getting to what Sheldon Keefe brings. Sheldon Keefe brings an approach that Kyle Dubas likes. Again, like you said, they wouldn't... Um, if they didn't care that much about Sheldon Keefe, they wouldn't be worried about him walking to another team, right? Especially for an, an AHL coach. And the thing about Sheldon Keefe is he develops players properly. He has developed them in the CCHL, the Pembroke Lumber Kings. He coached them to, I believe, four straight titles in the league or five straight titles in the league, even won a national title with them, which is very tough to do because you have to win the league, you have to win a tournament, and then you have to win the national tournament. So it's actually a tougher road to the OHL, if you think about it. And um, <laughs> it to, to have that national title under his belt uh, speaks volumes. And then he goes to the OHL and develops guys like Colin Miller and uh, Darnell Nurse and Matt Murray and Nick Cousins, who... Uh, his playing with the Canadians had a lot of good things to say about him. He's able to get the most out of those players. And, you know, the connection with Kyle Dubas is great, but it, you know, he, he, he could have zero connections with Kyle Dubas and everyone looks at his track record and you're just like, okay, this guy, regardless of the situation, finds a way to get it done. And in the AHL with at least 200 games coached, he has the highest win percentage in AHL history. And he's won a Calder Cup as well. And he took the Marlies to the conference finals last year. And on a Maple Leafs team that is consistently turning over AHL players into NHL players, obviously that group has changed over time. And prior to this coaching change, the Marlies were 10... Uh, they were 10, 2, and 3, I think, and first in their division. So you take a look at Sheldon Keefe and what he's done over the years and his ability to adapt to certain situations and be an open-minded thinker and warmly welcome uh, analytics uh, into the game plan. And you look at all of the players saying all wonderful things about him, how he's a player's coach, how he's constantly trying to to get guys to perform at certain levels you consider all of that and you consider where the Leafs are right now Sheldon Keefe is the perfect guy right now to coach this Maple Leafs team as to whether or not he'll do a better job than Mike Babcock that remains to be seen because there are a lot of things that he doesn't control that Kyle Dubas does control but it's up to Sheldon Keefe to get the most out of this group. And if you're asking me, can Sheldon Keefe get the most out of this group compared to Mike Babcock? I say, yes, he can. Yeah, so I think we're both on agreement in that, but we both had different explanations for why that, that could be the case. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, now that Dubas has his guy in place, who will... The who will this be it for Dubis as the Toronto GM if Keith isn't the right fit or, you know, can't bring them towards the second round? Um, uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think this is, you know, this is one of those things where Dubis, you know, he spent the last two off seasons signing John Tavares and then, uh, locking up Matthews and Marner and Nylander um, after a bunch of media outlets and stuff like, you know, outbursts and scrutiny. Um, and he was managing to lock up all four of those guys. Um, so 
now that he has his coach in place, you know, there's no more excuses for Dubas now. Um, when because this is his team, um, you know, obviously they still have to work on their defense. We're not sure if their defense is the, is the right, you know, mold. But um, at the same time, if if um, I, I I think if if the Leafs do like lose in the first round or don't even make the playoffs, um, yeah, I think Dubis is out um, of of this uh, of this job. Yeah, um, I, I think that goes without saying because um, adding to what I said prior about Sheldon Keefe, one of the interesting things that classifies as attention to detail, which is something that was brought up a lot about Mike Babcock, what is its attention to detail like? Is there enough emphasis on it? And that is one of Sheldon Keefe's strong suits where he will take a look at teams on winning streaks. He will take a team, a look at teams on losing streaks. He will look at their habits, their body language, all this kind of stuff that you probably don't think about uh, as a coach, a player or a hockey fan in general, or a statistician. There's stuff beyond the stats that we often take for granted, or we don't even notice. And he is a student of the game in a lot of ways. So if the Leafs can't win with a guy like that, that pays a lot of attention to detail, the blame lies on two sides. It lies on the players who couldn't get it done. Yep. And uh, Brian Burke says uh, Mike Babcock getting fired basically takes the heat off the players because at the end of the day, Mike Babcock isn't out there playing power play minutes and killing penalties and stopping pucks he's not on the ice the guys that are getting paid to be on the ice are on the ice and they're not getting it done right um so first of all the players have some responsibility and they have to own up to it and the more immediate guy that has to own up to it is the general manager because ultimately you get a chance to make one coaching change if you're and if you're at risk of making multiple ones, chances are the next coaching change that happens, you're going with them. Just like it was like with uh, Dean Lombardi and Daryl Sutter uh, with the Kings um, a couple of years back. So um, when, when I'm taking a look at Kyle Dubas, when I take a look at the roster he's assembled, you look at uh, teams like the Washington Capitals and the St. Louis Blues. Yes, they were skilled. Yes, they had a good team. They were physical. Other than Jake Muzzin, name me one guy on the Toronto Maple Leafs and just like, uh, or maybe Zach Hyman as well. Outside of those two, how many gritty players do the Maple Leafs have that in the playoffs can hang with the Boston Bruins, can hang with the Washington Capitals? Guys that, uh, teams that have a lot of skill, but can also play a very physical game and, and get you off your game. Well, I will say though, to interrupt you here briefly, Yeah. Um, I will say that in because you know because I am a Bruins fan and I did watch let you know both those series uh, with Babcock and Ned and this this new team uh, era of Toronto Maple Leafs we are watching yeah. here um, I will say that Marner um, and Matthews both had their moments like in those series it may not have you know they kind of became invisible towards game seven but I remember there was like a couple of games especially last year where Marner was like unbelievable and he could not be stopped. So I feel like, I feel like both, um, and I think Matthews may have been injured um, during last year's playoffs as well. So I think um, I, I could see um, both those guys stepping up big time in, in the playoffs, um, if that's the case. Yeah. Um, and adding and adding uh, to to that point, you know the phys- the level of physicality. Yeah. You know if they're structured the right way, that's not on the players; that's on the GM. Right, and and I was I was just saying that like yeah, Marner and Matthews aren't necessarily physical players, but they are, you know, they're still very key key important players on the team. Um, and I I would argue that they they were also you know they also have to step up as well. Is is kind of my point. Yeah, for sure. And you, you like you, you take a look at um, 
you know, some of the lines that uh, Sheldon Keefe was also experimenting with, um, there were a lot of times uh, during the early part of the season where Morgan Riley and Tyson Berry um, weren't on the same pairing. Yeah. And in Sheldon Keefe's first game, they were. He also mentioned that uh, 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 Shore, uh, Nick Shore, I believe, uh, who played 18 straight games under the Mike Babcock era, scratched. Spets is the third line center. Kerfoot is on uh, the left wing. Um, he also puts Tyson Berry, like we mentioned before, not only on the same pairing as Morgan Riley, but also on the top power play unit. He is letting the big guys run right now, and he is trying to do whatever he can to make sure the team plays to their strengths and lets everyone play to their strengths. If that is not enough to get over the hump, again, the pressure falls on the general manager because the roster that he assembled couldn't get it done. So as of right now, the clock for Kyle Dubas is ticking. Yeah, for sure. And I I guess... Maybe they could make some changes in the offseason, but, um, and it's still a pretty young team as well, but yeah, I think if if the Leafs don't make it to the second round at the very least, um, or just show signs of no progress, basically, um, yeah, I think Adubis is out of there. Um, yeah, and, and the, probably the other, the probably the change he really has to consider, yep. backup goalie. Yeah, they need a backup goalie that can win games. They haven't had that since Curtis McElhinney. That was a Dubas screw up. And I'd argue they also need help on defense as well. Um, that's yeah. that's another help. That's yeah. another thing. Shut, I feel shut down defense. Yeah. I think especially. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not that Muzzin or Barry are terrible or terrible additions, um, but I think they still need another like shut down. They need a shutdown guy, not like a two two-way defenseman like Barry and Muzzin are. Yeah, and don't, and don't sleep on Cody Cece. That Cody Cece, he's a secret weapon, you know? You, you just, just wait. <laughs> I was about to say, is this a joke? You. Is this a joke? I think this is a joke. I'm um, kind of half being sarcastic and half being serious. I, I think there is potential for Cody Cece. Yeah. I think Cody Cece is one of those players that when put in the perfect situation, he could do some damage. And yeah. I don't think that's happened yet. Yeah, I could see that, I guess. Um, all right, let's go to uh, our next question here. Um, so what about Babcock? Um, as we've mentioned before, he's he's one of the most prolific or accomplished coaches of all time. What's his next move, though? Um, will he be hired by a team this season? Um, when I look at the standings here, I mean, well, first off, because of his contract, it's not like he has a need to make it. Um, we'll get to Mark Frazier's comments in a bit, but um, it does seem like a lot of, or like it's, uh, or we're hearing all these stories about how, like, Leafs management and the players didn't like Babcock. Um, so I wonder if that's going to have tri- trickle down effects, um, to other teams where they're like, well, this guy may, may actually be a, a, a problem for other teams. So it's like, do you get the good or the bad kind of things where he could be, you know, this could be a disaster for them. Um, but that doesn't mean that, I mean, some teams are stupid too. So, um, maybe they'll, they'll, uh, They'll take him in and, and see what can happen. Um, just off the, like, I do kind of wonder, I was going to say, like, the Devils, um, just because they they did have some high expectations and it doesn't seem like it's working for them, and they kind of need a coaching change. Um, and the big thing was, is, like, well, it wasn't like there's a ton of coaches out there that could, that could help them in season. But at the same time, it's like, Babcock just got fired um, for essentially not being like there for the young guys. And that's what the Devils need. They need a guy who can understand what young players are going through. So I don't know if he necessarily would be a right fit for the Devils. Um, And then I guess other teams would be like the Nashville Predators who are struggling but should maybe do better. Uh, Maybe the Sharks. That's another team that could be interesting. But um, 
I have a feeling that he's going to wait it out uh, one one like he's going to pick his team in the off season of this year. He'll be back, just um, just not this season. Also, don't forget the Calgary Flames, who like the yeah, least set of players only meeting, and um, yeah, I saw that. I believe in three of their past four games, they haven't scored a goal. So yeah, that that um, that would be an interesting team as well. Yeah. Um, I think you're right about the Devils because the thing with my bad dog entering Toronto, when he came to Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings were ready to win right away. Yep. He didn't have to do all that much. He just had to coach the team. But there were a lot of intricate parts moving around in Toronto because this is a young team that was rebuilding. It was a very tall order. And probably the toughest market for Mike Babcock. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. As tough as a rodeo as it was for Mike Babcock, name me a coach in the past 10 or so years that has done what Mike Babcock has done in Toronto. He is still, even though he didn't win a Stanley Cup title, even though in three trips to the playoffs, he was a first-round exit all three times. Despite all of that, he made a lot of progress with the Leafs. He just couldn't get them over the hump. And if you're looking for a jolt of energy, Mike Babcock could be that guy. And I think he is better suited for a team that is ready to win right now. And all he needs to do is coach the team. So I don't think I can see the New Jersey Devils in that conversation. Um, You're right about those three teams, San Jose, Calgary, Nashville. They could be in it. There is one team that I would consider Seattle. Oh, that could be interesting, yeah. Because if you think about it, if you think about the Seattle franchise, um, you could take a look at all the other teams I just mentioned and you know ex- explain why they could use a guy like Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock is inheriting a roster in all three scenarios in Saint and uh, in Seattle however that is a clean slate yeah and the GM Ron Francis you know if if he's a if he's a Mike Babcock fan and, and the two think alike and they're on the same page like uh, Gerard Gallant and uh, George McPhee were in Vegas if yeah, they that'll be interesting are together they assemble the roster themselves. They know which players are going to do some damage for them. They know how to work with those players and what makes them tick. I'm not saying they're going to be Vegas Golden Knights successful and make the finals in their right, first year right. like Vegas did. That That well, is yeah, a, work. a Hollywood story that we probably won't see for a long, long time. Right. However, I do think Mike Babcock maximizes his chance of success because it's his team. Assuming his coaching style is not dead in the water at that point, I think he could do some great work in Seattle. The question is, is he still available by that point? Because I believe I heard between January and June of 2021, that's the ideal time that uh, Seattle is going to make their decision on a head coach. And that's still about a year and a bit away. So the question is, Will Mike Babcock still be around to take that opportunity? Here's the thing with Mike Babcock, though. Like I said at the beginning, he's got the rest of this year and three more years with the Maple Leafs paying him an average annual value of $5.875 million. Financially, he's set. He doesn't have to work anywhere. He doesn't have to do anything. He can just go on the golf course, spend some time with his family, and just kick it for yeah. about a year. And then just let the coaching opportunity come to him. And... I think it just is a matter of how fast he wants to get back into the game, what the situation is like for him and his family, um, where's the best ideal fit um, from a personal standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. It all depends on what he's thinking. He's been coaching in this league for years and years and years. He's always had a job. He hasn't really had time to just kick back and relax. So maybe he takes that time to just decompress and just think things through. And you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if he just waits this offseason, maybe another um, couple of months after that as well, before he really considers what's next for him. But I definitely think he's got the self-confidence. He's got the swagger. 
still in his step where you will see Mike Babcock as an NHL head coach in the near future. It's just a matter of when and what team. Yeah, that's, yeah. I hadn't thought about the Seattle aspect of things. I, I like that answer. I, I think I could see it. I actually didn't think of it either until Pierre Lebrun uh, mentioned it as a tee up on Insider Trading. I'm just yeah. thinking, you know what? That makes perfect sense. It would also be funny. That cons- makes absolutely perfect sense. It would also be funny considering that, see, you, see, you know, the expansion draft and they have to, like, so Toronto would have to send their team. Yeah, like they would a player. be getting a good player out of the yeah. list, probably. Yeah. Right, right. Or someone who liked Babcock back in the day or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, and. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 also that's also another thing you, you mentioned uh, the players yeah. and, and Mike Babcock and and we all know. We yeah, all I was about Mike to catch you that. If, if you see if you see Mike Commodore on Twitter, he's he's yeah. got it's a part of his he, shtick. He's he's not the biggest Mike Babcock fan, but yeah. apparently he's the only one. Well, yeah. So uh, yeah, I was about to get to that. So thanks for the segue there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as you as we all know, Mike Commodore. Uh, on Twitter is like very uh, public about his hatred towards Mike Babcock. Apparently, yeah, very anti-Mike Babcock. Yeah, he's yeah. very mu- anti-Mike Babcock. It's just a part of his shtick, really. Um, yeah. At this point, um, that and uh, like uh, the pack your bags whenever yeah, a guy the gets traded. Pack your bags insider. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, so. Um, but anyways, so Mark Frazier, who I guess is a former. Toronto uh, Maple Leaf as well, or, yeah. you know, he played for the, the Maple Leafs. Um, so he had this tweet thread, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, I showed this to Steve and he said like, yeah, this is also, this is pretty telling too. Um, so anyone who thinks, uh, so I'll just say the entire Twitter thread here. It's, it's fairly long, but we'll, we'll get through it here. So, anyone who thinks Com- Commodore uh, needs to lay off Babs just doesn't understand how much hate players have for him. It's beyond him scratching him or saying he was out of shape. NHL players are a very small po- population of athletes and people. We share stories throughout the years with each other, and for those outside the locker rooms, you will never truly understand some of the terrible, undeserving things Babs has done to s- some of his players. You don't have to like all of your coaches, but he is one who 95% of his players can't say a good thing about. With the ability to end players' careers, he's chosen to do so to long-serving vets that have resulted in all his players turning against him. He's used his power to turn teammates against each other and choose to continuously lie to his players. Uh, to his players. Commodore may have strong public opinions of Babs, but in our fraternity of NHL and uh, former players, he's speaking for the masses. He's speaking for countless players who have personally told me their terrible stories of Babs just being a bad guy. Um, he's speaking for all the Maple Leafs who wouldn't dare speak the truth right now, but damn sure want to. Commodore has so many players' respects if only the outsiders in the hockey world knew the truth. Um, also, I want to mention that there was a comment um, in the article, which I didn't even realize this, but Apparently, Chris Chelios doesn't uh, did not get along with Babcock. I um, mean, a commenter mentioned that, saying Chris Chelios doesn't hold back. Felt that Babcock despised him, and no matter what Chelios did, wasn't enough for Mike Babcock. That, that's all I had to hear. And then, um, so the, and uh, Mark Fraser was saying like exactly. There's a ton of guys from those Red Wings teams who has stories for days. Chelios is one of the the many, and he's widely respected in the game. So. Um, yeah, this is this may actually hold some water. Um, obviously, you know, I mean, it's not like we're in the locker rooms and all that stuff. But uh, there, we did hear all those stories of like early on in the uh, like the season opener of this year, where uh, he scratches Jason Spezza, even though they were playing the Senators, um, and it was like against his home, like his former team and stuff. Like even as like a fourth line, like even put him on as the fourth line person. Uh, that seemed kind of crazy to everyone. Um, and so, like, that kind of, you know, maybe it does make sense. You know, it's not like, you know, sure, maybe Commodore could have been the only one who uh, had a problem with him. But if it's, like, a ton of people who had a problem with him, then then the issue is more on Babcock than on Commodore, yeah, you, you know? You know, you know the, you know the saying, like, if one person says it, 
Yeah. Then they're the a hole. Right. But if more than one person says it, and in this case, it seems like more than a dozen people say it, then the person they're talking about seems like the a hole here. So, right. um, especially if Seattle is trying to start from scratch and selecting players that are available to them. How many of them are just going to be like, oh, great, Babcock's their coach. This will be fun. I can't wait to go to Seattle. Yeah. You know, you want you want a coach that players will like to play for. Yeah. And that is hanging over Mike Babcock said that could absolutely determine his future. Although I will say, like, I mean, obviously Belichick is it's a different sport and all that stuff. But there were stories where. He was on the Cleveland Browns, and it was an utter disaster in Cleveland, um, and just a bunch of stuff. And I guess it was like just the fact that he was like treating players differently, and um, it wasn't exactly you know healthy for them. But then like he uh, he kind of like learned from his mistakes and all that stuff. And then when he came to New England, he like became much more like you know, he kind of, like, learned how to become a better coach. So it is possible that Babcock could, like, take all this criticism that's out there right now and be like, oh, um, maybe I should not be an asshole, <laughs> you know? But uh, that, that that's um, easier said than done, um, yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, and, and again, like I said before, this is the first time Mike Babcock has, fired, uh, yeah. has been fired, has been told... We appreciate all that you've done, but we're going with someone else. Have a nice day. Yep. He hasn't been knocked down a peg at all. Like yep. he's always been working his way up and up and up True. and up and up. He hasn't really been just like yeah. This is slammed, his... slammed. His ego hasn't been like slammed to the ground, you know, and just yeah. said, you know, get get your head and get your head checked out, son. You know, sit right. on the sideline for a bit. Yeah, this might be so, his like first fall from grace you yeah know. it's, it's yeah. a wake-up call maybe for him ba yeah and basically it, it could be happening. yeah although so i just saw this here on the on the twitter sphere that oh, yeah. uh nazim kadri uh said i personally think babs is a great coach um but i don't know if we really believe him but um, <laughs> that, that was the tweet yeah that's the tweet that nazim kadri thinks babcox was a great coach well that was anticlimactic yeah. What? Oh, like, yeah. oh, he's, were he's you? Yeah. Oh, you were expecting like big, like actual news. <laughs> well, I, well, it, it was just like a one sentence. Like you didn't expand on it. Oh, well, I think that, that may be like a context thing. We don't know. Um, we just don't know if he, uh, if like maybe he said that sarcastically or something like that. Because didn't he have yeah, like? It, yeah, it's tough to really tell. You know just based on a tweet like you don't see the body language you don't oh, yeah. you don't hear the tone of his voice when he says it but um yeah may, or maybe it's just passing the buck and it's just like yeah it's a good coach you know and yeah. just like just like yeah next question right, but, right. um yeah it, it it is it is interesting you know um you you, you hear you know guys like um you know le legendary coaches like um like Scotty Bowman, uh, you know how tough he was on on his players, and I think it was actually Scotty Bowman who once said, "You're gonna hate me 364 days a year, but that one day where we're hoisting the Stanley Cup, it'll be the best day of your life," or something along those lines. And and Mike Commodore, you know, on 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 a hockey podcast was saying, you know, that's that's just one thing. Like I I didn't mind if coaches were hard on me. I yeah. I, I actually didn't mind it at all. Um, but his coaching style went beyond that at times. And um, uh, there were a lot of F-bombs that <laughs> Commodore used, but yep. the point remained the same. He, he, he didn't like Mike Babcock, and, and not for the typical reason, like he was being too hard on people. Like it, it sounded like Mike Babcock would push the limits way beyond how they should be pushed. Yeah, and he did that with a lot of other players, according to my Commodore and, and Mark Frazier. Um, one of the one of the players that he mentioned was Mike Medano. Yeah, who people forget he finished his career in Detroit and he almost barely 
came over 1,500 games, and I believe in that hockey podcast interview, yeah. um, he said something along the lines of, um, yeah, uh, Mike Medan was scratched a couple of games, didn't get to 1,500 career games played. And that, Mike, yeah. Mike, Mike Medano is a lot more revered and people remember a lot more than Mike Commodore. So, True. Um, but you know, Mike Babcock or, and or Chris Tellius, Mike Medano is, is, is one of those quiet guys where he's just like, yeah, it is what it is, whatever. You know, he doesn't uh, think too much else of it, but, um, it, it is definitely worth noting. And, you know, if these do hold true, and Mike Babcock does put on this face in the media and you don't see this Jekyll and Hyde personality behind the scenes where, you know, he isn't what he, what he looks like in public. Um, you know, maybe he, he takes the time within the next year to kind of like turn over a new leaf. Like if you look, if you look at Sheldon Keefe as a player, like he he's a very talented coach, but he was a very talented player at the junior level, but there was, there was actually a time in the OHL, I think it was the year of uh, the Barry Colts, uh, I, I can't remember if it was the OHL championship they won or a conference championship that they won, but uh, the trophy presentation, the commissioner comes up, he doesn't shake the commissioner's hand. Like, yeah. he was a totally different person back then, and I, I can't remember exactly what role he had, but... Um, there was uh, this uh, book by Bob McKenzie uh, called Hockey Confidential. I actually have it here in my room right in front of me. And there is a chapter about Sheldon Keefe as a hockey player and the rise and fall that he had um, as a hockey player. And uh, I can't remember exactly what his role was, but uh, let's just say he knew of Mike Danton and his agent. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Frost. You mentioned those two names to a hockey fan that really follows the game of hockey, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, those that yeah that case yeah." So um, it, it wasn't exactly, you know, a happy-go-lucky road to the NHL for Sheldon Keefe, and it ended pretty quickly for him. But as a coach, it's been a totally different story, and he's been open-minded and he's been able to adapt and. I think that can really put things into perspective, these tough moments. And hopefully uh, it does for Mike Babcock. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Um, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that, like, you know, he was well-regarded back in Detroit, but then once you hear all these different stories from different players and stuff, you start to realize, like, oh, maybe there is some credence to this and, and all that stuff. So, um it's kind of like uh, it's interesting, just in, from that regard, of like, okay, he he like Babcock may not be the nicest person in the world, just like uh, Tortorello probably is not the nicest person in the world either. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's uh, let's get going. Um. I let's see. Our, our you can catch us listen to us on SoundCloud. Um. We also have an iTunes. Um and stuff like that, which is probably what you're listening to us on, Spotify as well. Um, our Facebook is Lace em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. And uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Tubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we'll talk about another team, probably not the least, in episode 195 of the Lace em Up Podcast. It might be the least. We never know. <laughs>